Hey, welcome to First Things First. Nick Wright's in the uh, bluish-purple jacket. Broussard and I are dressed the same. We've got today's show, we've got Michael Vick. Brady's got a new visor. And the Phoenix Suns have a chance of sneaking into the playoffs. But today, we start the show like we do every day, with LeBron James walking in shirtless to the bubble. If you thought, if you thought the Lakers were going to lose this game, you were wrong after you saw this guy. Well, someone else who made a bold decision pregame was Nick Wright, who had this prediction. LeBron and AD both play well at the same time for the first time all bubble. And the Lakers win an easy one tonight. And I guess hitting a buzzer beater uh, with no time left is considered an easy one in Nick Wright's book. He was right. Best game in the bubble. The team shot 54% and 48% from three, including this Kuzma game winner. Broussard, normal people unlike Nick Wright were very worried about the Lakers' poor to mediocre start. Did this game alleviate any nervousness for you? Well, I was never worried about them winning the first round. Uh, a lot of people think they could lose to Portland if that's who they play. I've never been in that boat. Uh, the problem is it's title or bust for the Lakers. And I think they're a great team. I actually think they're the second best team in the league. But I, the problem is I think the Clippers are the first best team. And I saw nothing last night to change my mind. Now, Nick Wright, from his tweet and probably from what he's about to say in a few moments, would like you to believe that they beat the 96 <laughs> Bulls last night. All right? L listen, America. Denver did not play any of their starters for the entire fourth quarter. And that's not even counting starters Gary Harris and Will Barton, who were out and didn't play at all. So the Lakers had to struggle to beat, I don't even know, the reserves and, and, and some of the, the extra guys, maybe G League guys, that they had playing in Denver last night with a last-second shot from Kyle Kuzma. So if, if Nick wants to ride that to uh, Confidenceville, then by all means, go ahead and do it. <laughs> but th let's put it in perspective last night. There were some good things, though. They did hit threes. Uh, obviously, Kuzma's big shot. Anthony Davis went inside, finally. His first oh. three or four buckets were in the paint. I've been saying that all season. I'm glad the Lakers are finally listening. Get inside, big guy. See the ball go in the basket. Hit some shots. Get your confidence going. And then the rest will flow. And that's what happened. But defensively, the Lakers didn't do anything. Again, against a bunch of ninth and 10th men, they gave up 58% shooting, 56% from three. So they still have plenty of stuff to work on. Not great. You know, so... Broussard and I talk a lot on and off the air, but it's almost always about one of a couple things. S basketball, sports in general and basketball, and occasionally about parenting. Because we both are parents of a... Broussard's got a couple great daughters. I got three pretty good to great kids. And so we talk about those two things. We've never talked about books, about literature, about authors. Oh, but boy, I now long. know, given the last few days who Broussard's all-time favorite author must be. He's got to be the world's most avid George Orwell fan because in his world, <laughs> up is down, black is white, good is bad. Because you can come on here Monday and, and just uh, speak effusively about the Clippers who lost to a Nets team who didn't play at all at any point in the game, their four best players, arguably, certainly their three best players, and say, no, 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 they're the best team. 
And then after the Lakers beat a Nuggets team that rested its best players for the fourth quarter only, it's a sign of more of their issues. When their offense finally gets right, we now start saying, oh, but once again, they couldn't defend. Defending has not been an issue for them at all in the bubble. They were an excellent team throughout the regular season. And even in the struggles in the bubble, they were an excellent team. So for those, the few folks left who care about a dispassionate reading of facts, here is what the <laughs> Lakers went to the bubble and did. They beat the Clippers, who many folks believe to be their toughest competition in the West. They then, in order to clinch the one seed, had to beat the Jazz. They did that. They then, after a bit of a slump, I will admit they played poorly for three games, played another top team in the West, and they beat them. They now have a five-game lead on the Clippers for the two-seed, which is the same gap the Clippers have over the deadly Mavericks for the seven-seed. And so, yeah, if we want to just keep creating narratives as to why Laker wins aren't actually good, why LeBron, Kuzman, AD, and AD all scoring 25-plus is actually a sign of issues because the Nuggets decided to leave Bull Bull on the court in the fourth quarter. I guess we can do that. I do, even though I'm not officially a part of Laker Nation Wilds, on behalf of Laker Nation, oh. I will extend a thank you to Broussard for admitting, granting. Yeah, I believe the Lakers can get out of round one. How kind of you, how generous of you. <laughs> a team who's got, an, a guy who's gonna finish second in MVP, plus Anthony Davis, second best record in basketball. He's got him getting out of round one, America. So, you know, wipe the sweat off your brow there. That's more but yeah, I mean, Lakers, Okay, yeah, more than most, sure. So, Wilds, yeah. And by the way, I stand by every part of my tweet. People just have different definitions of what easy is. I, I mean, I, the, yeah, to me, what? the game last night was never in doubt. LeBron had a big game. AD had a big game. Everyone's going to rest now. It was a nice, easy win over the Nuggets last night, Wild. Now, I, I mean, I guess so. We can dig into uh, Kuzma's shot a little bit. If we can run that back, Katanic. I th wanted to show you something, Broussard, that I thought was interesting. Kuzma makes a shot. Look at LeBron, upper left corner. LeBron knows it's going yeah. in. You know, after the game, they talked about how much confidence they had in him. And it feels like that's just something, you know, to tell reporters after the game. But when you look at this, LeBron's really confident in him. And if we look at that's his first game winner of his career. LeBron's got 15. AD's got a few. Uh, Dion Waiters, of course, has only two. I'm surprised he doesn't have more than that. Dwight's even got two. So it's the first one from Kuzma. Good for him to get his confidence going in the bubble. I don't know if he's going to make a game-winning shot. Maybe have a, you know, John Paxson type uh, moment in the bubble here. How important was this for him um, in his space on the team to get some confidence with that confidence with that shot, Broussard? Well, I love LeBron's reaction because Kuzma sees that and he knows that that shows that LeBron's got confidence in him. Kuzma's always had confidence in himself. Now you've heard me on this show and others say. LeBron needs a dog with him. It, it, that second guy usually is his dog when he wins championships. Dwayne Wade, Kyrie Irving. AD doesn't really, I don't think he has that dog in him, but Kuzma does. So if Kuzma can be on the floor at the end of games and give them something of a big three, that is huge for them. He has, The problem with Kuz is you haven't been able to keep him on the floor late in games because of the defense. But in the bubble, he's been focused defensively. He's played some of the best defense I've ever seen him play in the bubble. 
He's been focused. He's been zeroed in, locked in. If he can stay that way and they can have him on the floor late, that'll be huge. The great thing about having a, a quote-unquote big three, and LeBron mentioned it last night, is if one of your big two is not having their greatest game, the third guy can step up. So the emergence, if that's what this is, of Kyle Kuzma could be really big for the Lakers. And let me give immense credit here to Frank Vogel because I, one of the benefits of being as superb as the Lakers were throughout the bulk of the regular season is they didn't have to win yesterday's game. So you don't have to say, you know what, it's a must-win game. We've got to let LeBron or Anthony Davis take the shot. You can experiment a bit, but still most coaches in that spot you're on a three-game losing streak. You got folks like Broussard going on television saying you're far and away not even the best team in your own town. You'd say, let's get this win. And instead, I mean, they obviously wanted to get the win, but they were building towards a bigger purpose. And call it drawing, that wasn't a broken play that went for Kuzma. That was drawn up was exactly play. how it went. They said that they'd been running that play in practice. He'd been making the shots. And... Kuzma and LeBron both had quotes after the game that I think matter. Kuzma said, listen, you know, I, I start on any other team in the league. The reason I don't start here is the two, the two best players in the league are ahead of me. Now, that might be overstating it slightly, but it is obviously right. great praise for LeBron and Anthony <laughs> Davis. LeBron talked about Kuzma needing to be that third star. Think about, Broussard, where we were a few months ago, or maybe I guess six months ago, when Kuzma's trainer is going on the gram saying the problem with LeBron and he, he doesn't work on his game. And there was real questions about great. whether or not Kuzma and LeBron, if there was real friction there. The fact that those guys, LeBron's celebrating as Wild points out, he's the first one to greet him. They draw up the play for Kuzma. Kuzma's going to have to hit big shots. When the Lakers play a tough opponent like the Houston Rockets or whoever comes out of the East, they are going to need Kyle Kuzma to make big shots. And I think this moment was far better than if LeBron or Anthony Davis Wilds had hit the game winner. Hey, if this game wasn't tied, Broussard, do you still think Kuzma gets the call if they're down one? Yeah, because Nick made a good point. Like, it, it wasn't a must win. So I, I think getting Kuzma's confidence up, having him hit that shot, showing the belief in him, I think that was more important than even necessarily getting the W. So, yeah, I think they draw it up for him. And, look, he's a scorer. He can shoot the basketball, uh, and they want to get him ready for the big moment. So, yeah, I, I think they do that. The stress of daily life weighs on all of us, whether you're an elite athlete or just a regular person trying to get through the day. Muscle pain and muscle tension, that's a real thing. That's why I use Theragun, the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And now it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. That's because the all-new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor that's so quiet, you'll wonder if it's on. While you soothe your aching muscles with Theragun's signature power, amplitude, and effectiveness. Try Theragun risk-free for 30 days. There's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power 
that you need. Starting at only $199, go to theragun.com slash FTF right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash FTF, theragun.com slash FTF. Future Hall of Famer and Billy Wilde's favorite wide receiver, Julian Edelman, spoke to the media yesterday about his old quarterback, saying Brady's departure, you know I love him to death, but train keeps on moving, choo-choo. Edelman also spoke about his new QB and future MVP, saying Cam Newton is a specimen and he's got great energy. Nick, do you expect Julian Edelman, future Hall of Famer, to be just as good as Cam as he was with Brady? You have to stop with the future Hall of Famer. You, you, you must <laughs> stop with it. It's a future Hall of Famer. In order to answer that question, though, I'm not going to have a Julian Edelman Hall of Fame debate today. I just, I refuse to engage on it. I just, for the audience's Tomorrow, sake, the I rundown. need to speak on their behalf that I agree with you, audience, yelling at your television. I cringe also every time someone says Julian Edelman, <laughs> okay. future Hall of Famer. Future Patriot Hall of Famer, maybe. Now, what type of impact is he going to have this season with Cam? Well, I think it is important to level set the amount of impact Edelman has had with Brady. Now, he has been spectacular in the postseason, but Julian Edelman became a full-time starter in 2013. Throughout the first four years of his career, it's not fair to him. He wasn't on the field regularly, and if I, I'm nothing if not fair to Julian Edelman. From 2013 to now, he's 33rd in the NFL in touchdown catches. To the little context, he has one less than Michael Crabtree, but he does have one more than Eric Decker, who retired three years oh, ago. Oh, he's doing this. He's 16th. Here we go. This stat thing he's he does. He's 16th oh. in receiving yards, which is, I mean, it's decent. It's not, it's not all pro level. There's, there's only two things Edelman leads the NFL in as a receiver over the last handful of years, and that's PED suspensions playoff and drunken yards. disorderly arrests. That's it. Oh. Well, playoff yards, maybe. Oh, I, haven't, I haven't looked those up. And oh, so I just, I think it is, I, I think for Cam, he is going to be able to spread the ball around maybe a little more than Brady because this is, in seriousness, one of my takeaways from this offseason when we heard from Tom in the Howard Stern interview, Mike, was he told Stern, listen, I would tell Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, that if a guy's, you can put a guy on the field, but if I don't trust him, I'm just not going to throw him the ball. I think Cam is going to be more equal opportunity with whether it's Mohamed Sanu or whether it's Nikhil Harry or Julian Edelman as opposed to keying in on Edelman because Brady had such a great relationship with Edelman. So I, maybe Edelman's numbers drop a bit, but I think it's because other guys' numbers inflate somewhat, Mike. Yeah, to some degree what you're saying, Nick, I, I think Edelman's success uh, always lied with his positioning and where he was on the field, whether he was inside, outside, in the backfield, um, whatever they was doing, gimmick plays with him. That's where his success came from, I think, in, in relations to Cam um, and, and their rapport and having guys like Muhammad Sanu, I, I think it'll open it, open up for Edelman more, uh, allow him more opportunity um, to, to be the receiver that he's been over the last, you know, couple of years. And, you know, Edelman's not, he's not getting any younger, you know, so he needs, you know, guys to compliment him. But I think the fact that him and Cam are working out together, they're having a lot of conversation, a lot of dialogue on, on what Edelman truly likes and, and he's getting to know uh, what Cam likes to do. So, 
I think, um, you know, this team has been able to have success, um, you know, in the slot, at the slot position with Edelman for a long time. And I don't I don't see that changing. And be, yes, they have lost Tom Brady, but they didn't lose Josh McDaniels, who knows how to use a guy like Edelman to be and complimented by guys like Sanu and everybody else can fit in. Mike, Julian also talked about Cam's energy, and we've heard a lot about Cam's energy coming out of Foxborough. How important was it to you to bring a certain, for lack of a better term, like vibe to the room or to the whole environment? Because that's what people seem to be feeding off of that, but it seems also to be kind of a, a, a fuzzy concept. When you walked in where you're like, I'm Mike Vick, I need to project a certain energy to the team? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I was more of a laid back uh, kind of guy. I was also, you know, vocal when I needed to be and I was a leader in, in my own right. Um, but Cam is the type of guy, you know, he's six, six, you know, when he walks into the room, you know, people gravitate to him. You know, he has this infectious smile and, and a great attitude. And I can only imagine how he comes to work every day. Um, you know, just the time I've spent around him. Uh, you know, in the last couple of years, he's just been really full of energy. Like, he's a guy that, you know, if he comes to work at 7 o'clock in the morning, he's going to come in there and music going to be playing. You know, he's going to be speaking loud. He's going to be having a good time. And then, you know, it's not a party, but at the same time, it's a great working environment. And uh, it, it gives guys confidence. It makes guys want to come to work. It make guys want to be around them. So, um, like, like I said, his personality is what sets him apart from a lot of other people. And, uh, you know, it's, like I said, it's infectious. And and you know what? who it also, it would appear, has set him apart from is Jared Stidham. My other big takeaway from some of these Edelman quotes is, uh, no matter what some folks in the media have been trying, especially in the New England media, that uh, don't, don't, don't write in Sharpie that Cam's going to be the week one starter, that, you know, this Stidham's been there longer, knows the playbook better. Julian Edelman did not appear to be talking about someone in a quarterback competition. Julian Edelman did not appear to be talking about someone who he didn't, who he thought he might or might not be catching passes from Wilds. It, it would, given the way what Mike talks about Cam kind of commanding the presence of a room, and also what you hear from your guy Edelman, it would it would seem to me from the outside that the Patriot players know who the best quarterback on the roster is at this point and who they expect to be the week one starter against Tua. Yeah, I think so. And at the same time, there was a lot of quotes coming out that like Hoyer said he's competing and Cam said he competes every day and Stidham has said like he believes that he's in a competition. I think that's just and Mike, tell me if I'm wrong, but. I think that's the Patriot way that like there's there's stories that like Belichick shows everybody an empty depth chart and says, you guys make the depth chart. I don't make the depth chart. I think, Nick, I'm going to I'm going to paraphrase something that you said that you can't lie to the players that the players know. Now, Nick, you should just do it. Why you're on the show. You should. I shouldn't take your. Take well, your yeah, I mean, you say, I'll, tell, I'll just you ask you, saying. Mike, like the I would imagine the players in practice know who the best guy yeah. is. Yeah, you know what I mean? The, yeah, you, you can't go. lie to the players and what they're seeing on the practice field. They're going to be, as long as Cam's healthy, they're going to know immediately he's their best option at starting quarterback, right? Yeah, I think the guys look at Cam and they know his track record and they know, you know, he's battle-tested. He's won games. He's played in a Super Bowl. He's won playoff games. Uh, he's done all the things that a winning quarterback 
um, has been able to do. And, you know, when you look at that and you look at a guy like Stidham, um, who has potential, who's been around uh, the Patriots system, you know, one year longer than Cam, you know, it, it you know, kind of stems to an advantage for, for Stidham. But, you know, all in all, when guys are looking at, you know, Superman himself, they're like, look, this guy's not here for, 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 for no reason. You know, he's here to start. He's here to, to play. And he's here to help us win games this season. So, you know, it, it's tough, man. It, it's a tough situation for Cam to be in. You know, it's a tough situation for Stidham. But at the end of the day, uh, competition uh, is always going to be there. Competition is, is, is healthy. You know, it's good for everyone. And when guys watch the tape after practice, when guys, you know, are watching the film, they're going to know this is the guy. This guy should be, you know, put in this position to help us win football games. Mike, I want to ask you about Edelman's old quarterback, Tom Brady. He debuted a new look, helmet with the visor. I thought it was just a great aesthetic look, but you're a visor guy. Does this just look yeah. good or does it have an advantage too? Man, Tom Brady come out with the visor game over, bro. If he come out, I'm, I'm saying like, look, that look right there, I can only imagine TB12, he's already a machine within his own right. Yeah, I was a trendsetter, I started that whole trend. Uh, throughout the National Football League and football in general. Um, it, it was a good look. But, man, if Tom Brady, the GOAT, come out with a shield on, man, look, swag on an all-time high, you know, all hell to the Bucks is going down. Jeez, you're big on the visor. We should have led with that, Nick. Yes, yeah, that surprised me this morning. That actually surprised me this morning when I seen that, man. That, that woke me up. That helped me get up this morning. Yikes, more visor video. Uh, hey, we created yeah, a new segment called Superlatives just as an excuse to run this video. More First Things First next. We are 30 days away from the beginning of the next chapter of Bill Belichick and the Patriots dynasty. Time for a oh segment called NFL Superlatives. First one, must watch TV. This is my early vote. I want to see if Patrick Mahomes can pull off this behind the back pass. Nick, what is your must-watch team or players this season? Must-watch team for me is, I think people expect me to say the Kansas City Chiefs, but they're going to be blowing so many people out. Those games, you're probably going to turn them off midway through. So I say the Dallas Cowboys. I know they're the most talked-about team on this network, on all the networks, but this year I think it's going to be deserved. I'm very interested to see if they can finally win some close games, how big of an upgrade Jason going from, from Jason Garrett to Mike McCarthy is. Dak, who continues to bet on himself. Zeke, who's had something online for all the haters all offseason, what he looks like. And CeeDee Lamb in a potentially really potent three-receiver offense. For all those reasons, to me, Mike, the Cowboys are the team that's going to be the most must-watch this season. What do you got, Mike? Totally understood, but I got to go with the Kansas City Chiefs, man. I just recently read oh. that Sammy Watkins took a pay cut to come back and, you know, Tyreek Hill, McCole Hartman. You know, most track guys who I played with couldn't catch the football, but all three of these guys can catch the football, so it's going to be another great year for Patrick Mahomes. I can't believe now we got Mike talking about the Chiefs. Oh, here's Baker Mayfield. This is an old Instagram. I let a lot of every, a lot of little. What did he say? I let a lot of y'all get too comfortable. It's about that time. Uh, insert trolls commenting from their couch. I don't know if he's talking about 
the trolls being comfortable on their couch or his play allowing the trolls to get comfortable criticizing him. Either way, Nick, player most likely to prove the doubters wrong this season is who? Baker's teammate, Odell. It's been three solid years since Odell's played a fully healthy season. It's also been since he was in high school that he had an above league average quarterback throwing him the football. I think those two things come together this season. I think Odell finally stays healthy for the first time since early in his career. I think Baker has a bounce back year and Odell has a positive value added quarterback for the first time in his entire pro career. And Odell reminds America why he's arguably the most talented wide receiver in the entire NFL, Mike. I got to go with Cam Newton, man. I think at some point he will end up on the field this year. I don't know if it's going to be early, but when Cam touched the field, Cam got so much animosity towards a lot of things that's been said, a lot of things that's happened, you know, over the last year, you know, the doubters, people um, not believing that he's still the same Cam Newton. I expect him to show the world that he can play football and he can play at a high level. So. Look, Cam Newton, man, has has gone through the fire. And this is the time for him to step out of it. And I think he's going to step out of it. He's going to be good. He's going to be great when he comes out of the fire. Mike, if you were the coach of the Patriots, would you start Cam week one? Uh, I wouldn't start Cam week one. Uh, I would give Cam some time to make sure that he's acclimated in the offense and not rush him onto the football field. Look, that can be a dangerous thing. That can go well sometimes, but some, for the most part, it doesn't. And I'm not taking anything away from Cam from a competent level as far as him learning the offense. I think Cam just has to be able to put in a position when he knows he's ready to go out there and play so he can be effective when he's out there playing and reacting, not thinking. Huh, interesting. Hey, uh, NFL superlative drama. Hard Knocks, Rams, and Chargers kicks off tonight on HBO. Always good. Nick, where's the drama this year outside of Hard Knocks? Listen, I to me, this one's pretty obvious. It's maybe too obvious. The Packers. The, there was We created drama last year around the new head coach, Matt LaFleur, and Aaron Rodgers, even though they seemed to get along pretty well. And then Brian Gutenkunst, the GM there, decided, well, if there wasn't enough alleged drama, let's create some real drama and real tension. Let's trade up in the draft. Let's get a quarterback. Let's hasten Aaron's exit. And then Aaron, because he's nothing if not honest, you know, has been very clear about what he thinks that means for his future, how he expressed to the team and to everyone he wants to play till he's 40, and now he no longer thinks he's going to have that opportunity in Green Bay. They're coming off their best regular season they've had there in nearly a decade, and yet now they go into camp with real questions surrounding their relationship with the best player on their team, and one could argue the best player in the history of that storied franchise. And so to me, the team most likely to have drama this season is the Green Bay Packers, Mike. Yeah, I got to go with the New York Jets, man. Every year I root for the Jets because I played for the Jets and I got genuine love for that organization. But when you lose a guy like Jamal Adams, the best player uh, on the team, uh, and you got a quarterback that's trying to restart him in Sam Donald, you got to keep all the pieces in place. And I think, you know, that falls on the head coach 
But I don't know. I'm not with, I'm not in the organization. I don't know what happens on a day-to-day basis. I just know that you can't lose your best player and expect to win games this year. You know, it's going to be tough for the New York Jets this year. Mike, I know you're not there, so let's just talk almost generically here about a hypothetical situation. If, if you were a player in a locker room and it seemed like the coach particularly took issue with the best players on the team, that because to me, to my eye, what, ha- what has happened in New York is, for one reason or another, Adam Gase didn't hide the fact that I didn't want Le'Veon Bell. And maybe they overpaid for him, but he was the best player on that offense. They didn't re- extend an olive branch to Jamal Adams. He's the best player on their defense. How does it sit in the locker room when it seems like the organization takes issue with the highest achievers on that team, Mike? You know, it's just uh, very uncomfortable because a lot of guys look at that situation like, you know, these guys uh, were the best players on the team uh, and and highly respected and they get treated any kind of way, then what's going to happen to me? You know, when when I have an issue or or when I try to, um, you know, express my concerns in a particular situation, you know, I I think, you know, guys are held to a high standard when, when you... You know, making top dollar when you're the best player on the team, or, or you consider, you know, the guy who get all the praise. You know, but at the end of the day, you should have some type of say. So you have, you should have some type of um, opportunity to express what you feel. You know, within that organization, and sometimes when guys try to do that, like the Jamal Adams, when you try to speak up when you feel like things aren't going right, then you know you get chastised for it, or you get labeled, and I think that's just very uncomfortable and uh, distasteful for a lot of guys who are on the outside looking in, you know, when they're watching these guys who are, you know, the leaders of the football team and they see them get treated a certain type of way, it just don't sit well. Oh, there he is. Next year's MVP, Cam Newton, taking over for Tampa Tom and his new visor. Playing new faces in new places, Nick. Who's the player most likely, likely to succeed in their new spot? This is a guy who I believe to be a future Hall of Famer who we've had on this show, yet despite that, we almost never talk about on this show, never gets talked about on almost any show, and that's Calais Campbell. Calais Campbell going to Baltimore, to me, is one of the most important and scary off-season additions. This guy wreaked havoc when he was in Arizona. He was arguably the best player on that Jags defense that took them all the way to the AFC Championship game despite Blake Bortles being the quarterback. And now he's not only leaving a dysfunctional franchise, he's leaving them for arguably the best run franchise in the NFL, a team that in addition to having the league MVP at quarterback last year had an outstanding defense, particularly with the addition of Marcus Peters. You've got Earl Thomas in the back in the defensive backfield. As a Chiefs fan, there is only one team in the AFC that scares me at all, and it's Baltimore. And they are, to be totally honest, somewhat terrifying. And Calais Campbell only adds to that. I think he could have another double-digit sack season the way he regularly did in Arizona. I think he's potentially the biggest off-season addition that we aren't talking about on a great team, Mike. Well, Tom Brady is definitely going to be the most likely to succeed on their new team if you ask me because here's a guy who just fell into a situation where it's just weapons everywhere. And then his boy Gronkowski 
came over and joined the Buccaneers team with them. You know, already had Mike Evans, had Godwin, you know, had a decent running game. And I always looked at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers team, you know, especially in the 2019 season, and felt like, you know, if Jameis just limited his turnovers, that this team would be able to compete. And I'm a big fan of Bruce Arians and, and Brian Leftwich, um, you know, who, you know, I know very well. And I know what they're doing over there. I know the scheme. I know everything is very particular and put into place very well. And, and if they just had, you know, the guy who could limit the turnovers, they can go far. Make, make no mistake, I think Jameis has a lot of room to grow. But now Tom Brady steps into a situation where he's going to be very effective, very successful early. And this team could, could potentially compete for a Super Bowl this year. So I think Tom Brady lining up behind the center with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, just puts this team in a position to compete. Wow, correct answer there was Cam Newton. We were looking for Cam Newton there, gentlemen. Uh, Mike, you made a career of making defenders look silly. Who do you have as the most like, boom, there it was. Who's going to make guys, defenders collide? Who's the most likely to have this, you know, hap boom, there it is. Well, I think, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson will certainly be that guy. He did it last year versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, and, and then I, I think, you know, coming close, you know, run up is Kyler Murray. But I have to go with L Lamar Jackson, man. When you talk about dynamic moves, you're talking about a strong lower body, um, the, the presence to run the football and, and, and run in between tackles. Like, you just don't get guys who can throw the football and be effective and run the football and be even more effective. So, you know, Lamar has something that, you know, he you know, most people don't have, or a lot of quarterbacks don't have, and that's a, a elusive, you know, ability to make plays, you know, in and out of the pocket. So, you know, it's going to be an exciting season, and I wouldn't be surprised if you see, you know, a duplicate of this play, you know, in the 2020 season. Okay. I'm going to go with a guy who we haven't seen do it yet and is yet to have the all-time great NFL highlight that I think many of us thought he would have early in his career, and that's Saquon Barkley. Uh, Saquon has oh. the stop-and-start ability and the speed to make a couple defensive yeah. backs run head into each other just like Mike did against the Vikings. And while Barkley, I think, has been good, he obviously has not had the greatest team around him. If I say, think of the amazing Saquon Barkley play, I don't know if one particular comes to mind, and I think after you saw him at Penn State, you thought he would have had already one of those, already one of those, oh my God, highlights. I think that's coming this year. So I think Saquon's the most likely to do it, Wilds. Okay. Respect on that. got the Giants at 2-14, unfortunately. Hey, Kyle Kuzma made a big shot, and LeBron didn't button his shirt before the game. What's the bigger story? You'll decide. Next on First Things First. They'll Thanks, decide? Mike. Hey, Broussard is back, and we're still wearing the same outfit. Alvin Gentry was asked about his Pelicans job and said, quote, I'm the coach until I'm not the coach. Nick, how do you see this playing out? Listen, he's definitely gone, fairly or not. I think that is a very poorly kept secret around the league. And also, if it wasn't a, if it wasn't a secret, if anyone ever asks me about this show, 
And I'm like, listen, I'm the host of First Things First, so I'm not the host of First Things First. Assume that means I'm on my way out. Alvin knows he's on his way out. <laughs> Broussard, I think a lot of people will tie, no pun intended, tie Lou to this job because David Griffin is obviously the GM in New Orleans. I think it might be instructive to remember Griffin is also the one who hired David Blatt. I don't say that because I think he's going to bring David Blatt back, but I do wonder with a young team, if Griffin tries to go with a first-time, maybe higher upside head coach like he tried to do in Cleveland back before they knew they were getting LeBron. But I do think Gentry's gone, Broussard. Yeah, I mean, that Blatt hire was a lot of Dan Gilbert, the owner, uh, more so than, than uh, Griff, too. But yeah, look, I'd love to see Alvin get a shot at coaching his full roster. You know, these guys haven't been healthy. Zion obviously been out. But the fact is, he's been in New Orleans five years, had one winning record. He's coached parts of 17 seasons as a head coach and has four years of a winning record. So he's he's gone, as Nick said. And the, and the best coaches, the Ty Lues, the Jason Kidds, I don't think they would go with a Mark Jackson, but I would throw his name in there. They're going to want a training camp. They're not going to want to come in midway through the season if it starts off poorly with Alvin Gentry. So at this point, it's the best time to make a move, and, and that's likely what will happen. Maybe Kenny Atkinson, Broussard? Hey, heating up. Possibly. Oh, that's interesting. The Battle of the Bubble. It was okay. It wasn't great. I called it the, you know, the best game of the bubble. didn't really happen. But uh, Jimmy won. T.J. Warren had a, kind of a mediocre game. I wanted a Jordan-esque game, or as Nick would call it, a LeBron-esque game. Broussard, what did you take? Uh, what was your takeaway from uh, Jimmy beating T.J. Warren here? Well, look, Jimmy is clearly the better all-around player, and he showed it last night. He was great. He, he locked up T.J. Warren defensively when he played against him. You know, there were some double teams. Obviously, didn't guard him the whole game. TJ really didn't guard Jimmy Harley at all. And it was kind of blah. I, I had the game on. I had my two yeah. screens on, and that was on one of them. And I was just underwhelmed. It never really turned into a great matchup. Well, I think it, it underwhelmed because TJ Warren got erased by the Miami Heat. I, listen, TJ Warren's been the MVP of the bubble if such a thing exists. But Jimmy Butler locked him up. I think he only took one shot in the first half with Butler guarding him. And then he never got going. And this was a sneaky, important game for Miami. It guarantees they don't drop to the six line. And we'll probably see this, by the way, as a full series, Heat Pacers. But I think Miami wants... Milwaukee in round two. I don't think they had a lot of interest falling to the sixth line. Right. Boston, then Toronto, then I think they liked their matchup against Miami. So I think it was important huh. for Miami to stay where they were. It's a big win. Right. Hey, if you're into mythology and Devin Booker, the Phoenix Suns are your team rising from the ashes. Suns are 6-0 and in the bubble behind Devin Booker's 35. Suns now just one game back from the eighth seed. Look at this shot. Boom. Uh, Nick, do you see them sneaking into the playoffs? Listen, I think I said at the beginning, I think Memphis is going to make it. I think Memphis is going to hold on to the eighth seed and win in the play in either the first or second game. But Phoenix, after having a brutal schedule early, think about who Phoenix had to beat. Dallas, the Clippers, the Pacers, the Heat, the Thunder. It now opens up for them. Because now Phoenix has Philly, who doesn't have Simmons, almost assuredly won't have Embiid. And then that last game against Dallas, 
Dallas might be locked into the seven line. So Phoenix has a real chance to get to 34 and 39. I think Portland's going to lose one of their last two. We know Memphis is going to beat whoever the hell Milwaukee tosses out there in their final game. So I think we might end up with, un un unlike what you want, I think we might end up with Memphis, Phoenix in the play-in, and Portland being America's most dangerous number 10 seed of all time, Broussard. Nick so wants to avoid that Portland-LA matchup totally. in the first I, round. You act I, I, are you scared of it or what? I, look, I'm with you. The Lakers will take them out. Don't worry about it. But look, I love Devin Booker, not just because he's a light-skinned brother. I love his game. He's got the Mamba mentality. I've talked to him about that. But I would love nothing more than to see Booker against Damian Lillard in the play-in, Portland Phoenix in the play-in. Yep. I don't think we're going to get it, unfortunately. I do think it'll be Memphis-Portland in the play. And he, I will give Nick this. It is going to be tough for Portland to beat Memphis two times straight. Or wh whoever yeah, would play him. That, that is going to be hard. So I wouldn't can, be shocked if he's right, and it is Memphis. Can, can I say something just real quick? This idea of, oh, I'm scared of Portland. Listen, I've got a decent-sized ego about me, but I do not believe that my predictions actually impact who wins games. This idea that because, if, if let's say I were scared of Portland, this idea that it would help the Lakers' chances by me picking against Portland, it's totally illogical. Whether I was or wasn't scared of Portland, me saying they're going to miss the playoffs has not no true. impact on this if they miss true. the playoffs, Wild. Thou, thou oh, really, protested too much. Thou protested too much. The, the other day on the show, Nick and his daughter on the show, and she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, no, I'm talking about the future. And what did your daughter say to you, Nick? What was her question? Do you know? She's like, Dad, you can, can you predict, predict the future? Yeah. And what did yeah. you say? Yeah. Well, predict. <laughs> Nick's like, And I said, yes, yes I, I predict, not impact. <laughs> predict the future. And I'm telling you, Portland okay. ain't going to be in the playoffs. That's not me impacting the future. Right. That's me seeing the future. Okay. Oh, okay. Slight difference. Hey, playoff push. Lakers got back on track last night after being the worst team in the bubble. Nick's happy. Stopped a three-game losing worst streak thanks to this game-winning shot from Kyle Kuzma. And though Nick thinks they're good to go, LeBron still knows that the Lakers have to do some work, saying they're not in playoff mode, which makes sense because it's not the playoffs. Nick, do you think that uh, they'll be able to flip the switch, or has the switch already been flipped last night? No, the switch didn't get flipped last night, but it was obviously a step in the right direction. The, the defense had been pretty outstanding throughout the bubble. The offense had been egregious, and last night the offense was really good. The defense was lackadaisical, and I think that they will ease themselves into the postseason with an easy first-round matchup, even if it is against Portland. This idea that Portland is some juggernaut, they haven't, they haven't even been a juggernaut in the bubble. They have like, the, I think they have the, the fourth best record in the bubble amongst these teams. I mean, Toronto's been better. Uh, obviously, Phoenix has been better. But set Portland aside, what we're going to see in the playoffs is no Talon Horton Tucker, no disrespect to him. You're going to see a much smaller rotation, and you're going to see LeBron control every aspect of the game. I thought last night was an interesting moment, Broussard. LeBron almost had his first game in a decade without a rebound. 
Is that because he couldn't get around mm. Plumley? No, it's because it was his final game of the regular season. He ain't going to play in the last one. And he was being incredibly cautious about getting tied up or stepped on or nicked at under the rim in his final game. He said before the bubble, they need to get the one seed and they need to come out healthy. Check, check. He didn't say it, but they also beat the Clippers, which I'm sure makes them feel better as well. So, no, I, I'm not surprised they're not in playoff mode. I also, Broussard, don't think it's going to take a long time for them to ramp up to playoff mode. Yeah, no, LeBron's right on the money. They are not in playoff mode. I don't think their defense has been outstanding in the bubble. I think they had I think at the rim they're always great. I think they've had some trouble guarding the perimeter. Uh, and I think that could be a challenge for them in the playoffs. Obviously, they're missing their best perimeter defender in Avery Bradley. But look, LeBron is going to be great in the playoffs. We know that. A few questions. Anthony Davis. Last night, he was great in the fourth. Seven points in the last five minutes. Of course, he was going against Portland's second and third units. But the question is, can he do that against the top teams, particularly the L.A. Clippers? And then Kuzma. Can he stay in defensive mode and be on the floor at the end of games? Because he will give them a lot offensively. It's a great third option behind LeBron and AD late in games. That could be huge for the Lakers. So, look. I think they're going to go into the playoffs and play well. I think they're the second-best team in the league. I give them a shot to beat the Clippers. I think it's going to be a knockdown, drag-out series. I just think the Clippers are slightly better. I give them a shot to beat the Blazers in round one. Nick, look, the Lakers don't <laughs> control who the Nuggets put out there. But this is worth noting. The fourth quarter, it's a big shot by Kuzma. Everybody played well but didn't feel like the Nuggets necessarily had their best players on the court. If you can look at that, their starting five averaged uh, zero minutes, zero points, zero field goals. Also, did they didn't shoot a three. Uh, did this, what, does which, this by the way, your perception no, of the fourth quarter at all? It, it doesn't because the game was tied going into the fourth and that for the, the bench unit did oddly outstanding offensively in the fourth, so I don't think Jokic and Porter and Jamal Murray would have done better than 33 points on 67% shooting. But it is a game that because they lost, the Nuggets do risk dropping to the four line. They knew that, so the Nuggets must think they like their matchup against the Lakers in round two better than the matchup against Clippers in round two. Good night, good luck. I'm happy for you, Mike Malone. You will regret that immensely, but that's a choice they made. So we'll see how that works out for him, Wilds. All right. All right. We're back tomorrow. Go Blazers. <laughs> Go Blazers. <laughs>